Good morning. My name is Scott Strubing. I am the pastor of Family and Discipleship, and I'm very loud right now because I'm excited. So excited to see you all. Um, I am glad to share the Word of God with you as we as we celebrate Reformation 500. And I just want to start reading. Start by reading to you. Number one. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, "Repent." Matthew 4.17, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Number two, this word cannot be understood as referring to the sacrament of penance, that is, confession and satisfaction, that is, as administered by the clergy. Number three, yet it does not mean solely inner repentance, such inner repentance is worthless, unless it produces various outward mortification of the flesh. That is the first three of 95 points that Martin Luther was seeking discussion on. As you can see in the the picture of Martin Luther, the, the artist's conception of Luther walking away from the church doors, his action of nailing the 95 theses was not something dramatic. It was actually kind of commonplace mundane. It would be as common now as you going to your Facebook wall and posting a question for your friends to answer, such as, what size pants should I buy for my two-year-old? As Allison McKelvey recently asked, as she was trying to figure out, what's the difference between 24 months and 2T, and is Target really all it's cracked up to be? Those (laughs) are the same types of questions they would have asked in Wittenberg. What side? No. Um, The point of this is, is we have a celebration here of one of the most commonplace things that you can imagine. Simply, Luther saw what was happening in the church of his day and wondered, I think these things are wrong. Let's talk about it. And what he did was go and nail them on the church doors, which was a common action. That was the bulletin board of the day. Hey, mother's group on Wednesday, it goes on the church door. That is not something we celebrate 500 years of. But it would have been just as common. But it was a common action that led to an uncommon result. Admittedly, I'm an insufficient biographer. Dave gave you a little history of the Reformation, but we are limited in time, and the stories of of the Reformation could be called an embarrassment of riches. There is too much to tell, because an embarrassment, a, a glut of riches falls short. To tell of Luther would mean I'm not telling you about William Tyndale, who wrote... 60% of the Bible that you know poetically, the words that you treasure, he translated them. And through the years, people would look at them and adjust them, but really, his original poetic translations are some of the words we know most well. To tell of Tyndale would leave out Luther's friend Melanchthon. To tell of Melanchthon would leave out Zwingli. To tell of Zwingli would leave out Calvin. There are reformer after reformer after reformer that we could talk about, 
whose desire was for more people to hear the gospel, to be saved, to be assured of their salvation, to have the word of God in their own hands so they could read it and hear it for themselves, and to truly know God as he revealed himself in Jesus by the Holy Spirit. There is so much to tell, but we have no time. We have no time, and I am insufficient. And even to tell them would be to neglect years of martyrs who struggled and died hoping, hoping that you would just have in your hand the Lord's prayer. Or even just a few verses from Genesis or Exodus. People dying because they possessed the word of, the God, of God in their own language. I wouldn't be telling you of all these people who lived and died, and there's so many names. So we will celebrate what we can in the time we have. And we will celebrate in the way that we are meant to, in the way that they would have wanted, in the way that everybody from this list, everybody from that time period, everybody for 500 years and for 2,000 years and for the whole of humanity would have us celebrate. And we will do that through the word of God. So if you will turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. We will hear the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. And we will be changed. The Apostle Paul writes, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Please pray with me. Lord God, we turn to your word because your word accomplishes what you will. So we ask that you would reveal yourself, Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, in our lives now 
And that Holy Spirit, you would speak to us by your word. And that we would be changed both in our hearts and in our lives. Help us to look to what is sufficient today. Help us to find what we need for life and for godliness. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Paul begins this passage with rejoice in the Lord. And Paul, we shall. We shall celebrate what God has done in these texts. And we're going to just celebrate three things. Three things that I want us to celebrate. Our insufficiency the sufficiency of Christ, and justification by faith alone. And we're going to, I might get lost in the midst of those, so I apologize as I'm searching the time. But those will be the bedrock of what we talk about today. And we start with a warning from Paul. And I just want to say this could not have coincided any better. Things go well in life because God is sovereign. And, and today could not have gone any better with Dave sharing his testimony. Because in the text, we're going to step away from Brother Dave Petrick for a second. In the text, Paul is speaking to somebody that had stepped into the church. He is saying to the Philippians to watch out because there is somebody that will come to you. That will enter into your midst and they will have a very specific strategy. He tells them, look out for the dogs. Now this is not saying, hey, look out for those cute fuzzy things that love you. And cuddle you. I was cuddling with my dog twice yesterday. Those things that can give you kisses on the face. That is not what he is saying here. Dogs was a very, very rough term. Dogs were feral. Dogs were mean. Dogs were awful in that age. And they can be for some people now. Some dogs aren't great. But so Paul is starting off by saying, look out for the dog. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. What he is speaking of is people that are antithetical to our brother David. When Dave came up here, he did not come up here and say, Hello, I would like to be a deacon. Here are my qualifications. I am a plumber by trade. I can gather a van full of many tools, Milwaukee brand, just so you know. And I can use my skill set to accomplish so many things. So you should make me a deacon. Because I'm great. I'm wonderful. And you'll like me. Also, check out these guns. They are for hire. I understand it's, a free, it's not a paying position. But they are for hire. He did not come up here with a list. And even then, the list wouldn't have been that way. The list would have been, here is why I am uniquely qualified to teach you about God. And not only am I uniquely qualified to teach you about God, but you are not qualified to even believe in God. That is what the dogs and the evildoers would have done. They would have come in and said, hey, hey, you know, are you Jewish? Do you? Do you follow the ceremonial laws? The Philippians would say, no, no, we have trusted in Christ. We have placed our faith in Christ. That's what Paul told us to do. 
And these evildoers would say, oh, no, you can't eat that pig. Oh, no, you can't spend that time with those people anymore. Here is a long list. They would have a scroll, so it's not like they can open a book. It's a long list of things that you need to do to be right with God. And until you do those things, like I have, you can't be right with God. And so Paul is confronting that reality. The reality of those people who look at themselves as sufficient, who put lists upon themselves, who say, this is why I'm great. And he's saying, watch out. But then he says something amazing. He goes on to say, but we... We are the circumcision. It's flipping it. Here are a list of people who think that they have everything figured out. And Paul is saying they are not. In fact, we're taking their name. We are the ones who are right with God. We worship by the Spirit of God. He's encouraging them. He's helping the Philippians to rejoice in what the truth is. We glory in Christ and we put no confidence in the flesh. This is what they had done. They were confident in themselves. And you can call them a, a multitude of things. You can call them self-confident. You can call them self-righteous. You can call them self-justifying, anti-gospel fools. But the reality is they put themselves first. They put themselves first. Their job, their delight, their glory is not to serve. It's not to lay down their life. It is not to follow in the footsteps of their Lord Jesus Christ. No, rather, they put themselves first. Paul sees them doing that. He laughs. He laughs. And he says this. He says, they put... We put no confidence in the flesh. And Paul says, though, you know, if we wanted to be like them, I could. He says, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. You see, Paul had been raised as a young Jewish man since childhood. And in his faith, he had done everything he could to justify himself before God. And he gives that list. I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, as a child, his parents had been perfectly obedient to the law and did what was required for Paul to be right with God. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He goes on to say, I, I am right there. The whole list, I'm hitting it, notch by notch, page by page. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. What Paul is saying is that every time there was a marker on the list, he hit it. When he was born, first marker, be dedicated in the temple and be circumcised. Check. There. Make sure you have right family lineage. Check. Right with God still. You know what? Are you actually going to follow the law? Check. Not only that, but I'm going to go extreme and I'm going to become a Pharisee, which is like a super Hebrew back then. And then they go on to say, okay, well, what kind of Pharisee were you? He says, I was zealous. 
I persecuted the church. You know what? I heard that there was a church full of Christians that were teaching things that were not in keeping with God, and I went after them. And they told me, you know what? Go and stop them from teaching. So I did that at first. And they said, you know, that's not good enough. Go arrest them. And so I did that too. And then they said, you know what? Let's not only arrest them, but let's put them in jail and let's, let's persecute them. And Paul did that step as well. Every step Paul follows. Everything to show himself as sufficient before God, as self-righteous, he did. But again and again, he found himself not right with God. His conscience plagued him over and over. Nothing made him right before the Lord, no matter how much he tried, until on the road to Damascus, God changed him. God changed him. And he goes on to say, when he was changed, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is so common to be like Paul, to be self-justifying. David talked about it. Keep calling you David. I don't know why. Dave talked about it. I want to elevate you, brother. He spoke of that. Everything was in line for him to be a cruise control believer. To get on the right path, have everything go well, and think that he was right with God. Martin Luther similarly went down that path. He sought to be right with God. In fact, he was known for it. He was known to be so penitent that he would go and tell all of his sins. He would go sit in his room and think of every bad thing he ever did each night. And each day, the following day, he would go to the priest and confess all of his sins. And the priest would forgive him. And so he would leave and think of more sins. And he'd come back and confess him again. He did it so much, one of the priests even told him, Martin, why don't you go and actually do some real sinning and commit adultery? But Luther could not escape the feeling of condemnation. His self-justifying, his his is confessing never brought relief. And that is what self-sufficiency will do. It will never bring relief. Why? I like to think of it this way. Imagine that my wife Hannah was driving on the road. She had asked me two days earlier to get her gas. I had forgotten, as I always do. And the car stalls and stops and is stuck on the side of the, the interstate with no gas. She calls me up. She says, Bah! Probably. <laughs> Sorry, Hannah. <laughs> I need gas. Can you pick me up a gallon of gas and bring it to me? I say I would be delighted. Sure thing. I am there. I would probably be apologizing over and over, punching myself in the stomach, feeling like a horrible husband. But so I say, okay, I'll go and get it. And so I go to the store, grab a gallon, drive to meet her, get to her, walk up to her and say, I've got it, here it is. She looks in my hand and there's a gallon of milk. She says, that's not what I asked for. 
Like you asked for a gallon. Yes, of gas. Well, this is a gallon. Won't this, won't this work? Won't it do what you need it to do? She would then probably shut down. <laughs> Let's hope. It doesn't suffice. It isn't there. And that's the reality of self-sufficiency. Your pursuit of righteousness by yourself is not enough to satisfy God. It's not even in the right framework. It's like trying to run a car with a gallon of milk. And so Paul and Luther realized that they were insufficient. But what is sufficient, though, is Christ. And this is what Paul goes into. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. He recognized that gallon of milk that he had been putting up in life wasn't going to do it. What he needed was Jesus Christ. I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I need gasoline for my car. I have a gallon of milk. Forget the milk. Use the gas. Jesus alone possesses the righteousness which we need. He possesses the righteousness that can satisfy the requirements of the law. He alone measures up to what God requires. And that's what Paul is celebrating. That finally, finally before them is the thing that they need in order to be right with God. And this reality is attained for us by faith. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. This truth, the righteousness that comes through faith, also referred to as justification by faith alone, was one of the most important recoveries of the Reformation. See, the Reformation was not about anything new. It was not about discovering things. It was not about finding something and, and declaring, this is a new thing. It was about going back to what had been given them. It was about going back to what Christ had taught. It was about going back to what had been revealed in the scriptures and taking off the layers of dust that accumulated throughout the years to see the treasure that lay before them. To finally hold in their hands the word of God themselves. I don't know if you realize how spoiled we are to possess this, to have this in our hands. We're spoiled. We are spoiled to have the word of God before us, to read it in our own language. And so justification by faith alone was not a new doctrine for the church, but it was a recovery. It was the foundation of the church and is the thing by which the church stands or falls. But recovering this truth does more than just saves us. Does more than just save us. It unites us. You see, coming up with that list is about, it creates more problems than just trying to make yourself seem right before God. It is a, it is a form of boasting. It's a form of celebrating self. It's a way of saying, this is what I have to give. Why don't you have it as well? Why can't you give something like this? 
But in Philippians 3, Paul is showing that, hey, this, this coming together as a church is not about what you can bring individually. Rather, this is about us coming together and joining with one another. The concept is worked out in Romans 3, 23 through 25. In it, we read Paul say, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. See, we receive Christ by faith, even though we are in sin. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He follows that with a question. What becomes of our boasting? You see, it would be so easy for Christians who have been Christians for a long time to go up to other people and say, here is my list of attributes. Here is the list of things that I have done well. Here is the list of ways that I can serve you. Here is the list of reasons you should trust me. Here is the list that you need to have in order for you to follow me. But faith does not look upon those lists. It looks upon Christ. And so then it says to one another, here is Christ. I am here to pursue him with you. Here is Christ. I am here to be built up with you. Here is Christ. I am here to be sanctified like you are being together. Faith unites us. Boasting divides. Boasting in self divides. Faith helps us to walk side by side. We've so often proclaimed. And so, what we are to take from this is to realize that if we are to grow together as a church, if we are to grow together as a family, as Don described, if we are to encourage one another, it needs to proceed out of faith. I'm so glad that we're going to start these men's morning fellowships, I expect to beat some guys handily in pool. It's the only thing I have to offer. Just kidding. I'm glad because it is bringing us together to share in our faith together. It's not bringing us together for one to come forward and say, this is what's wrong with me. And then we all get to dog dog pile on that guy and make him feel bad until he is ashamed and quitting what he's doing. No. Faith will unite us and help us to encourage one another and build one another up and grow one another and help one another to see the light of Christ so that we can proceed together in faith. And walking side by side in faith in Jesus Christ It'll empower us to go so many places. It'll help us when we encourage one another because we will be together. 
It'll help us speak to people who do not know Jesus because it'll be so clear what we have to offer. We have Christ to offer, and it's not coming from a place of perfection. It's coming from a place that recognizes we are insufficient and Christ alone is sufficient. We will take it to the distant friend because our love will come, some, come from someplace greater than us. We'll take it to the struggling because we have a solid rock. And it'll take it to the person who is doing so well. Because we know together that we are united in Christ. What would the reformers have us celebrate today? God and his word. That's it. That's all that they would call us to look to because it is the thing that they wanted more than anything else. They wanted the simplicity of us being able to gather, to read God's word, and then they could fade into time. If you don't know those names, you're fine. If you don't know the history of the Reformation, you're fine. As long as you know the gospel and the teachings of Jesus Christ. That's all they cared about. They wanted you to have the word, and they wanted you to know that you could be saved by faith in Christ. Join me in prayer. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that guys like me and Dave, Phil, and John, that we can come and preach the eternal word of God and be forgotten. It's all we ask, that what we preach would be remembered, but that we ourselves would fade into time. So Lord, make your truth be remembered today. Make your word be remembered today. And help us to know that the righteousness we have now not that which we have gained by ourselves, but that which we have received by your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Christ, that you have lived perfectly and died perfectly for us. It's in your name we pray.